0: Good morning, Easton Life Church. Thank you all for joining us. Life Kids, y'all are dismissed. So good to be able to be with you today. Thank you all for braving the weather and coming out. I'll address how I'm dressed. I don't normally dress like this unless I absolutely have to, but I lost a bet last night. I said if 15 people who came to service last night would come back tonight, I'd wear my new shoes today. So I had no confidence or belief that 15 people would show back up, not just because I'm preaching and the weather's bad. I thought, all right, nobody's getting back out unless they absolutely have to, but I got called out this morning and people started counting heads, so I was like, all right, I'll go home, I'll put my new shoes on. I wasn't going to wear my new shoes with jeans, so I just thought I'll go all the way just to prove some people wrong, tell you we're not making the story up you're going to hear today. More importantly, I pray that the Spirit will speak to you through God's Word. We believe that God has given our team of elders a message from his word directly about how we can deal with the battles that we face today in our world. Church, we believe that Satan has launched an all-out assault on God's people in our world today. We believe that's very, very clear. You see what's happening in our world? No matter what side of the aisle you find yourself on, politically or socially, I think we can all agree that the people of God, 15 through 15, Paul gives us very specific instruction on how we are to fight the spiritual battles we find ourselves in. We often call this spiritual warfare. It's the idea that there is more to our existence than what we see with our eyes and what we experience with our five senses. There is a spiritual world out there that we don't see. And in that spiritual world, there is a battle raging for the souls of people. There is a battle raging for the commitment of the church. There is a battle raging kingdom against kingdom. Jesus is to us, but what about for today? What about for the battles that we face today, for the difficulties of the day? Jesus does not leave us alone to fight those. In fact, he tells us how to armor up, how to get ready for the battles. He says in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 13. You can read it with me. We'll have it on the screens. You can go to your Bible, Ephesians 6, starting in verse 13. He says, therefore, he's been talking about this battle. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Turn and look at your neighbor and say, stand your ground. Stand your ground. Church, that's what we're called to do today. Stand our ground. He said, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Have you ever faced such a difficult time in your life that it seemed like you did everything you knew to do? Everything you knew to do, you tried. Every conversation, every effort that could be made, you throw money at the problem, you go to counseling, you do everything you can do. Maybe you go to church, you tithe, you, you give offerings, you minister, you do everything you know how to do, and still it just feels like Satan just keeps pounding at you. You ever been through that before? Just one battle after another. Jesus says, in Ephesians chapter 6, through the Apostle Paul, he said that when you've done everything you know to do in the evil day, you stand firm. You stand. He says, and you do that, in verse 14, with some very specific armor. You stand firm in the evil day with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Truth will be what holds your pants up, so to speak. He said, you stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. With the breastplate of righteousness fitted in place. And verse 15 says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Got your belt of truth, you've got your breastplate of righteousness, and you've got your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. He's talking about some very specific shoes that we're to wear. You see, the Roman soldiers that Paul was sort of using to illustrate this. Scripture, They wore very specific armor that protected them in battle. This was one of the most powerful militaries that's ever existed in the history of the world. Rome controlled more of the world at a single time than any previous kingdom in history or any kingdom that has since. Rome was one of the most powerful militaries in the world. And they had a very specific set of armor that they would wear. And that's what Paul is alluding to here. And he's speaking to Christians. And he says that when you face difficulties, it's really important that you've got the right shoes fitted on your feet. I want to talk to you this morning about wearing the wrong shoes. And I want to tell you a story. This is a true story. This is something that I experienced recently. My mother... God bless her, I love my mom, and she's probably watching this weekend, so mom, if you're watching, I love you, please don't be offended by this story, I love my new shoes. My mother, since my sisters and I have grown up and moved out of the house, and we've got our own families now, and my mom is now going through what they call empty nesting, everybody been through the empty nest, your kids all move out, your house is empty, Pastor Brian says no, because they always come back, and they live with you again, praise God, it's great to know that if things go bad, I've always got a place to live, that's good news, amen? Amen? Me and those four kids and the wife and the dog need a place to go. Thank you, Pastor Brian. Now, assuming none of us move back in with mom and dad, my mother is experiencing what they call empty nest syndrome. Now, I don't know if she's been officially diagnosed, but I can tell you this. Growing up, she was not into thrifting. Thrifting, junking, whatever you want to call it, she wasn't into it. But when my sisters and I all grew up and moved out and she started dealing with the empty nest, she has found a new hobby to sort of fill up that empty space in her life. If there is a Goodwill anywhere, she'll find it. If there is a junk store anywhere, she'll find it. If there is a yard sale or a garage sale, she will find it. If there is a secondhand store, anything with a booth in it that you can set up, she will find it. And she is connected with all the people who know where all this stuff is and she has figured out where the deals are. This is her new hobby, and she shares that new hobby with me and my family by sending garbage bags full of her thrift things to our house, about seven or eight at a time. And we get to sift through all of them, and we love it because it's great stuff, right? We never get tired of it, Carissa. We love it. And a lot of the stuff is really nice, and a lot of the clothes that I wear, I probably got from mom and her thrift store hobby. Now, a few weeks ago, my dad called me, and he said, hey, got good news for you. Your mom was out thrifting, and she's found you a pair of really nice brown dress shoes. I said, oh, that's okay. You can tell her her to keep them, tell her to sell them. I don't need them. I just bought new brown dress shoes. They're Dockers. They're really nice. Got them at Dillard's like I splurged. And he said, no, no, you don't understand. These are not just used brown dress shoes. These are brand new, never been worn, Italian leather, handmade, wingtip dress shoes. I said, oh, I've never had shoes like that before. I said, these sound pretty special. He said, what size do you wear? I said, nine and a half. And he goes, perfect, that's what size they are. Never been worn. you got to see these shoes. So he sends me a picture. I look at him like, yeah, those are really nice. Those are a lot nicer than what I've got. Because understand, I'm not an expensive clothes guy. All right, this, this suit is a cheap suit. My shoes that I buy are cheap shoes. And I always know it's time for new shoes whenever my heel begins to touch the surface of the ground when I step down. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like when you can feel the temperature of the ground, you know it's time for new shoes. That's normally when I go buy shoes or whenever the fake leather starts to peel off the toe of them. I know it's time for new dress shoes. So he shows me these shoes, and I get really excited. Like, man, I've never had shoes like this before. So he brings them over to my house. I try them on. They fit. They look great. And I am wound up and excited because I I work in a job where I have to dress up. And I go out, and I have to dress up. So I was like, man, I've never had shoes like this. This is really exciting. I'm going to get to go out and strut around in my brand-new handmade Italian leather wingtip shoes. I was excited, but he told me, he said, there's a caveat with shoes like this. I said, okay. He said, these type of shoes are really slick on the bottom, so be careful. Of course, I was so excited to have them, I just kind of blew them off. Like, yeah, yeah, whatever, I I got good balance, I'll be fine, no big deal. So next day, I get to go to Murray-Calloway County Hospital. My job is basically I sell genetic tests to doctors and psychiatrists, mental health practitioners. That's my job. So i got to dress up. And I'm excited to wake up and to put on my suit and to put on my new shoes and to go strut around murray Callaway County Hospital. I get up, I put my clothes on, I get ready, I drive to Murray, I'm feeling good. I walk into the hospital, and I'm kind of feeling myself, you know? Like I kind of strut in. You know, you can hear Bee Gees music in the background like, you can tell by the way I use my walk. I don't know if that was, like, I could hear it. I don't know if anybody else could. But I'm feeling real good. I walk in there, got my bag on, and I'm like, man, I'm ready to sell. Like, I'm going to walk in. And I, I don't know how I thought they were even going to see my shoes anyway. Like, I don't know if they thought I was going to, like, stick them up. And, you know, I don't know. But in my mind, I'm ready. My feet are fitted for the task at hand. So I walk in. I'm feeling good. If you work in healthcare, you know that you can't just walk into a healthcare facility right now. you got to stop at the table. And there's a table there. There's a young girl, probably in her 20s. I'm sure she's a nurse. She's working this table. And she wants to take my temperature. And I'm like, yeah, no problem, because I'm thinking, man. when she leans over to take my temperature, she's probably going to see my shoes, right? So I kind of strut up to the table, and I failed to notice the hand sanitizer station that has apparently been leaking hand sanitizer all over the floor in front of the table. So as I strut up there feeling myself, I'm like, hey, how you doing? Whoop. Land flat on my back, hit my head on the floor, and I'm just laying there with God's justice having prevailed. I'm laying there, feeling like an idiot, and she jumps up and goes, Oh, my gosh, are you okay? Are you okay? And I just start laughing because I think, God, you have got to have a sense of humor. That is is funny stuff, and thank Lord I'm not injured. And I remembered the words my dad told me, Hey, be careful. These shoes may not be appropriate for every situation you find yourself in. Be careful. I get up. I turn around, I go home. I sold nothing that day, because I thought, I got to go home and get some shoes on that aren't going to kill me. There's a danger in wearing the wrong shoes. You see, I had chosen those shoes because of how they looked, because of how they felt, because of how they made me feel. But I had failed to take into account that when you're out and about, the ground can change under you without much notice. And I found out really quickly that the shoes that you're wearing are very, very important. Because when things change, you may quickly find out you are not dressed for the occasion at hand. I want to talk to you today about the tools that Satan uses in our life. And by the way, the title of the message today is called Fit Your Feet. Fit Your Feet. I really, really wanted to call it Prep Your Piggies, but I did not have the guts to do it. Didn't have the guts to do it. In the Anderson house, we call feet piggies, all right? So if you're clapping, you can clap your piggies, you can kiss those piggies, you can tickle those piggies, we call them piggies, all right? I didn't know if that would translate, so it's not prep your piggies, it's fit your feet, okay? We want to fit our feet with the proper shoes. I want to talk to you about some tools that Satan uses today. Three tools that Satan uses, we're only going to focus on the last one, okay? These are the ways Satan attacks you. All right, so if you want to know how Satan's coming after you, here's the three ways I think the Bible tells us he does it. Number one, he uses a tool called temptation and accusation. Anybody ever been tempted to sin? All right, everybody should raise your hand. Everybody's been tempted to sin. Even Jesus was tempted to sin. Satan will come, and he will tempt you to sin. And then once you sin, once you bite on the bait, as it were, he will then accuse you and tell you how bad you are, how much you've blown it, how dirty you are. You better not go to God because he's mad at you. You better not go to church because you're a hypocrite and they won't receive you. If anybody found out what you did, they will not accept you. They will reject you. That is a tool that Satan uses to separate you from God and to separate you from the church. He does it every day. He's been doing it for thousands of years. He's gotten pretty good at it. He uses temptation and accusation. Number two, I believe that Satan uses what I like to call counterfeit Christianity in the world today. This is a Christianity that looks and seems and sounds and feels real, but at the center it is not biblical and it is not about Jesus and the gospel. It is man centered, it is a fake. Faith. It is a counterfeit Christianity. I believe that Satan has flooded our world with the counterfeit so that nobody will even be willing to receive the truth because they know there's so much counterfeit out there in the world. If you want to know more about that, I would encourage you get on YouTube, search Eastland Life Church, the counterfeit, and you will find the message that I preached on this last week. I believe he uses counterfeit Christianity. And number three, I believe a tool that Satan uses, and where I want to focus today, is called the evil day. The evil day. He tempts and he accuses. He uses counterfeit Christianity. And I believe he uses what the Bible calls, in Ephesians chapter 6, the evil day. He says when the day of evil comes, you will be ready having your belt of truth, your breastplate of righteousness, and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The evil day is that time in your life, and it may not be just one day it may be a week it may be a month it may be a year maybe a decade but it's that period of time in your life when satan breaks all hell loose for you anybody ever been there it's not just one bad thing that happens it's like a series or a string of bad things that happen and it's like the second you get one problem under control something else breaks it's the diagnosis you get that you weren't expecting. It's the sudden loss of a family member. It's financial ruin. It's when your spouse comes to you and says it's over. It's when your child comes to you and says... I don't believe what you believe, and here's the life I'm going to live. Even though it's what you told me I shouldn't do, it's what I'm going to do. Many of us have experienced these things. The evil day, it's when your parents divorce. It's when you get abused or hurt by somebody. It is a series of events that are damaging physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, over and over. It is the evil day. If you want an example of it biblically, if you go to Job chapter 1 in your Old Testament, you will find that on a single day... Job, who was what the Bible called an innocent man before God, had his house, his job, and his children all taken from him in a single day by Satan. Satan took everything he had from him. And if you read Job chapter 1, Job responds by saying something to this effect. He says that the day or the thing that I have always feared has come to pass. It is the evil day. And the evil day is something that for many of us, we've already lived through, and it's come to define us. You with me? It's something that you experienced in the past, and it has now come to define your present. And it has come to bring hopelessness to your future. It's broken you. It has defined you. It's the evil day. For some of us in the room, it's what we're living through right now. Brokenness, loneliness, you're tired, you're wore out, you have been fighting the battle, and you've done everything you know to do. And you feel like you can't fight another day because you are going through the evil day. For some of us, and this is where I would honestly include myself, for some of us, it's in the future. My wife and I have been married 13 years now. We've had a good marriage, no major problems, four healthy children. I've got a job. She's living out her purpose and her calling and her ministry. I believe that I am too. Things are going okay, and we will often talk about, man, we know that it's coming. We know we're going to start losing people. We know that tragedy is going to strike. And the question is, are we ready for the evil day? Knowing that it's probably coming can be a source of anxiety and a source of fear. Anybody sort of live in that? Like, man, I, I just I worry about what could happen. I believe our culture is living in that today because we've been fed... News and social media, news on the TV about the evil day. Hey, if this happens, if this doesn't change, if we don't do this or we don't do that, the evil day is going to happen and there's going to be war, there's going to be famine, there's going to be sickness, the healthcare system will be overrun, we're going to lose this many million people. The evil day is something that Satan throws at us to generate fear and anxiety and stress and worry. Y'all agree with me? This is a tool that Satan is using, and all of us are included in this. It's either in your past, it's in your present, or it's in your future. None of us are exempt from the effects of the evil day. The good news is that Jesus does not leave us alone to stand in the evil day by ourselves. Amen? We don't go through it alone, and we don't go through it unequipped. In fact, Ephesians 6 says that we have to be ready to stand firm in the evil day because we believe the gospel of peace the tool that we are given are spiritual shoes that the Bible says we put on our feet he said the evil day is either happened it's here or it's coming and if you want to be ready you got to do it God's way we don't do it our way you want to be ready for the evil day you don't put on wingtips slick bottom shoes you got to put on the shoes that come from the gospel of peace if you want to be ready. And it's interesting that he uses the example of shoes. So you've got a belt. you got your breastplate of righteousness. Why in the world shoes? Why do shoes get us ready for the evil day? So I got to thinking about it. Shoes are our foundation. Shoes are our foundation. If you think about it right now, the only thing on my entire body that is making any contact with the ground are my Shoes. They're like the tires on your car. If they're worn down, if they're unbalanced, if they're uneven, if they're about to break, you're in a dangerous situation. You may not feel it. They may look fine from the outside, but you're in a dangerous and precarious situation. My shoes are my foundation. As gravity pulls my body to the floor, my shoes are the defining factor in whether or not I'm going to stand or I'm going to fall. And what I've learned is if I got the wrong shoes on, I'm not going to stand. Our shoes are our foundation. They determine our posture. If you've got bad shoes, you are going to have bad posture, which can lead to pain. It can lead to joint problems. If you are actively engaged in sports and you wear the wrong shoes, you will not be able to compete effectively. If you try to wear running shoes playing basketball, you'll turn your ankle. If you try to wear basketball shoes playing football, you'll have no grip and you're going to get tackled and knocked over constantly. Our shoes are our foundation, and it matters which shoes we wear. This scripture is not talking about physical shoes. It's talking about spiritual shoes. He said that when we fit our feet with the right spiritual shoes, we can be ready for the evil day. So I want to talk about these shoes, but I want to talk about readiness. I want to talk about readiness this morning because I fear that in America... Many people who call themselves Christians are not ready for the evil day. I fear that many people in America who call themselves Christians are not ready for the evil day. Let me tell you why I think that. I think we're not ready for the evil day because at the first sign of trouble and calamity, churches were ready to just shut the doors and stop worshiping. Now, I'm not condemning anybody, I'm not condemning other pastors, and I'm not condemning Christians who are staying home. If you can't get here, you can't get here. All right? I'm not condemning trying to be safe. I'm not condemning that. In fact, I'm only accountable for my behavior. And as an elder of this church, I'm accountable for my decisions, my behavior, and the decisions that we as an elder body make in leading our church. But, man, we, we are so ready to stand up and say, no matter what happens, I'll never stop going to church. I'll never stop worshiping God. They can tell us that we'll die if we worship God. But man, the first time the government says, hey, it may not be safe to go to church. You better shut the doors. So many people will just like, yep, yeah, we'll shut the doors. No big deal. No big deal. I don't think we're ready. I don't think we're ready like we think we are. I think there's a lot of Christians who are walking around with shoes like this in wartime. And what they find is that the shoes that we thought were so great when we get out onto the battlefield are not serving us very well. And we find ourselves as the church flat on our back wondering what in the world happened. The Barna Research Group says that today, because of the events of 2020 and because of the American church's response to the events in 2020, today in America, one in five churches is now facing closure. One in five. 20%. Now you tell me what happens in America when 20% of the church is closed down. Jesus talked about this. He says if the salt loses its saltiness. It's no longer good for anything other than to be thrown out and trampled upon. I see the church in America today being trampled upon because they don't have their spiritual shoes right. Their feet aren't fitted. We have to be ready. We have to be ready. You and I have to be ready for the evil day. Readiness means that when the evil day comes, we stand. Readiness means that when the evil day comes we stand. I'll give you some examples of this. I shared some of these last night. I'll share them with you again this morning. When the evil day comes, when all hell breaks loose, here's what readiness looks like. We get told we got to shut the church doors for the health and safety of the general public. And I tell Pastor Brian, hey, we can go online and do it. It's no big deal. We shut the doors, no problem. And he says, I don't think that's right. And it took me about a month, month and a half to catch up with them. but when the evil day came, our pastor said, hey, we'll stay open, we'll be as careful as we can, but we're not going to stop doing what God told us to do. That is standing firm in the evil day. That's what that looks like. We buried a dear sister yesterday from our church. Ginger Ditterline, she has had a fatal chronic illness for years. She's 41 years old when she passed away. She knew that because of her illness, she would not live to the age of 45. She knew that and yet she lived her life in a way that glorified God, and she did not stand in fear of the evil day, and when the evil day came, she stood firm. In fact, those hospital workers that were working with her, when they were having a bad day, they adopted a phrase. They said that when we get tired, worn out, stressed, or angry, we try to be like Ginger, because in the face of death, she stood firm. She was who God called her to be. She stood firm. Clarence Anderson, one of our... Senior members of this church, Pastor Brian's dad, when he lost his wife a couple of months ago, he stood firm. He buried her one afternoon, then that night he was at church worshiping the Lord. Every time the doors are open and he can get here, he's here. Man church, Monday night, he's here. Wednesday night worship, he's here. He's living alone now without his wife. And I think to myself, man, what would it look like if I lost my wife? I can't imagine being able to stand firm in that evil day. And yet here he is every single time we meet together. He is present. He is worshiping. We baptized a young man last night. And he was the first one out of his chair to come hug him and tell him he loves him. He stands firm in the evil day. Because he's ready. As he watched his wife lose her health, he told us she's ready to go home. And I'm ready because God's grace is going to be there. He wasn't ready to lose her, but he was ready to stand. Amen? That's what it looks like to stand firm. Ready means that we stand when the evil day comes. But it means something else that I want to address too. Readiness not only means that we stand when the evil day comes, ready means that we don't live in fear of the evil day that we know is coming. You understand what I'm saying? Not only are we ready to stand when the evil day comes, but ready means that for those of us who haven't lived through the evil day yet, ready means that I'm not going to live in fear of what I know Satan's going to bring to my doorstep when it comes. My generation in particular is really guilty of adopting anxiety and fear and worry as a character trait you will hear the word anxiety used really, really frequently in our culture today, especially from my generation. And I don't want to disregard anxiety disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder. I don't want to disregard these as not real physical genetic problems that can happen in the human brain. In fact, it's part of my job to understand how anxiolytics, which are anti-anxiety medications, it's part of my job to understand how they work because the product that I sell deals with those things. And I talk to doctors and psychiatrists five days a week. This is my whole job to understand these things. I'm no doctor, but I stayed at the Holiday Inn Express last night and I got pretty nice shoes okay so I'm at least kind of trustworthy anxiety disorder can be a physical problem in the brain the problem is is that when you go to a doctor and say hey I think I've got anxiety disorder they do not test the genetic makeup of your brain they simply give you a questionnaire about how you feel and you will answer questions about my feelings. I feel this way. I feel panic. I feel anxiety. Three or four times a week I have trouble sleeping. I feel outbursts of anger. I feel uh, heart palpitations. I will get very, very nervous when I get into the social situations. You answer a questionnaire about how you feel. And then that doctor or clinician will determine whether or not to write you a prescription for an anti-anxiety medication. And church understands something. I'm no doctor, and if your doctor has prescribed a drug, you take it. And don't you go back to him and tell him that Pastor Blake at Easton Life Church told me not to take my medicine. Don't do that. I'm not a doctor. But I do know this. Your medication can change how you feel. But it cannot fix what you fear. You understand the difference? It can medicate your symptoms. But at this point in our scientific world, it cannot fix what you fear. It cannot change your fundamental problem, especially if your fundamental problem is not physical or genetic, but it's a problem of the heart. And you say, Well, how do I know the difference? That's the problem. We're not always able to tell the difference. So, is it okay to go to the doctor? Absolutely, it's okay to go to the doctor. But is it crazy to suggest that maybe in America, worry, fear, and anxiety in the life of a Christian can also be indicative of a heart problem, not just a brain problem? Is that fair? I believe it's fair. I believe it's fair. Ready means that we don't live in fear of the evil day. He says that we will be ready because we are fitted, we have our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The gospel is just the story of Jesus Christ. It is the good news of Jesus Christ in our world today. Let's go to the next slide. The gospel is the good news that God made a way for us, his enemies, to be reconciled back to him through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. So what the Bible's telling us is that if you want to be ready for the evil day and you don't want to live in fear, of the evil day and you don't want anxiety to characterize the way you live your life worried about the evil day you have to fit your feet with the readiness that comes from knowing something very specific here's where the application comes in if we want to be ready we have to know and understand and believe and trust and live the gospel The gospel is the good news that God made a way for us to be reconciled back to him through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. When we were yet sinners, the Bible says that Jesus Christ came and died for us. Any sinners in the room, anybody ever messed up before? If you're perfect, keep your hand down. The rest of us, raise your hand. We've blown it. The Bible says that because you and I have blown it, not only are we separated from God and out of relationship with him, but we are also deserving, the book of Romans says, of death because of our sin. Do we realize that? if you're a person in this room who's ever made a mistake before and you've never received Jesus as your Savior the Bible says that not only are you separated from God but you are deserving of death you say man that sounds really harsh I know it does I know it does but there can't be good news without bad news we agree that's the bad news separated from God worthy of death the good news is that when God looked down at us in our situation and in our brokenness and in our sin, he loved us so much, the book of John chapter 3 says, he loved us so much that he sent his perfect and only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live as a human. And Jesus would live his life tempted just like me, but perfect and sinless in every way. And the Bible says that when I believe upon Jesus as my Savior, his perfect life gets credited to my account so that when God looks at me he doesn't see Blake Jackson and all his failures he sees Jesus in all his perfection you with me that's the good news of the gospel and because Jesus lived that perfect life I can now live free of the consequences eternally of my sin. But not only that, Jesus not only lived for me, he died for me. The Bible says that I deserve death because of my sin, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus lived the life that I should have lived but couldn't, but he also died the death that I deserve to die. But now I don't have to. He lived for me, and he lived for you, and he died for me, and he died for you. Because he died on that cross as an innocent man, I can be reconciled to God as a guilty man. That's the good news of the gospel. And because he is risen again after the third day, I don't even have to fear death. Because the Bible said that if Jesus was raised from the death, I'll be raised from death. I'll be raised from the grave. You'll be raised from the grave if we receive him. You see, that's the good news of the gospel. Now what in the world does that have to do with me having peace and me being ready for the evil day when all hell is breaking loose in my life? Here's what I think it means. Peace means living free from worry, fear, and anxiety. Peace means living free of worry, fear, and anxiety. Anxiety is the opposite of peace. If anxiety is the characteristic of your life, if anxiety is the defining characteristic of your life, if you are living in a constant state of fear, worry, and anxiety over the evil day that happened in the past... You're living through it in the present, or you're worried about it in the future. If anxiety, fear, and worry is the dominating emotion and uh, feeling in your life, let me give you some good news. You don't have to live like that if you don't want to. You do not have to live like that if you don't want to. And I pray that I am not downplaying your suffering. I have gone through some difficult things in my life. And many of you have. Many of you are living through it. And many of us live in fear of it. The goal of this message and the goal of this scripture is not to downplay your suffering. It's to lift up the suffering of Jesus and to remind us that the gospel says that if Jesus Christ loved me enough to die for me. If he was able to hang on the cross as an innocent man... And have the sins of the world pinned to his shoulders. Every person that's ever lived. Every sin that they've ever committed. Every thought they've ever thought. Every evil thing they've ever done. Every human to ever live. All on Jesus in one moment. And he was able to bear it. He was able to shoulder it. He was able to take it. And he was able to take it down to the grave where I deserve to go. And the Bible says that while he was down there, he ministered to the broken spirits. And when he came up out of the grave victorious, as the victor, as the winner, as the victorious son of God, and he said that the same spirit that raised me is going to raise you. If Jesus can do that for me, before I even asked him to, before I even knew I needed it, before I was even alive, everything in my life, all the brokenness and the pain and the fear and the worry and the anxiety and the sin, Jesus 2,000 years ago said, son, settle down, I've got it. If he can take that for me, who am I to stand before him and say, Jesus, what I went through is too great for you to handle? Who am I to stand here today and say, Jesus, the pain I'm in is too great for you to deal with? Who am I to stand here and say, Jesus, I understand the gospel and I hear the gospel, but I'm so worried about what's going to happen in this world. I'm so worried about what might happen to me. Jesus, I just can't can't live a life free from worry. Jesus, I just can't have peace because I'm just so worried about what's going to happen. My purpose is not to downplay your pain. My purpose is to lift up the suffering of Jesus Christ and say, listen, the Bible says that if he is victorious, then we can be victorious. Say, well, I'm not victorious today. You don't have to leave here that way. You can leave here victorious. You can leave here different, but you got to do it Jesus' way. you got to be willing to look down at your feet and say, you know what? Maybe my problem is that I don't have the right shoes on. My problem is that I have fitted my feet with a foundation that is not the gospel of peace. You see, we can have peace when we understand the gospel in our heart because we can understand when the Bible says that if he be for me, who can be against me? Say, I've been hurt by people in my life. I know you've been hurt by people, but understand this. The Bible says there's a day coming when Jesus is going to wipe away every tear. And there will be no sorrow, and there will be no pain, and there will be no death. You have hope. And you can have peace from knowing that hope is here not only for your future, but it's here for today. It's here for today. Anxiety is unique among our emotions because in the Bible, I don't know if you know this, the Bible tells us that there is an appropriate time to be angry. It says be angry and do not sin. The Bible tells us there's an appropriate time to be happy. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that there is an appropriate time to mourn and to be sad. These are emotions that the Bible says, hey, it's right to have these. Don't run from sadness. If something bad's happened to you, it's okay to be sad. If something good's happened to you, it's okay to be happy. If something bad's happened to you, it's okay to be angry. Don't let your anger take you into sin, but these are emotions that it's okay to have. Did you know that in the Bible there is never an appropriate time given for worry, fear, and anxiety? Never once does the Bible tell us, hey, you know what? If things get bad enough, now's maybe the time to be afraid. Now's the time to worry. Never in human history has God looked down at the world and said, oh, this is worse than I thought it was going to be. Uh, Christians, you might want to run. Things are getting bad. You mean, Now's the time to be scared, church. Oh, man. Disease, sickness, war, famine you might want to be scared because things have gotten real bad the Bible never gives us a time appropriate for anxiety it says do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus that's Philippians chapter 4 it says there's a peace available to you and this is where I want to close there is a peace available to you. If my musicians can get ready, we're going to have a time response. There is a peace available to you, church. And as they come up, I don't want to lose you, okay? There is a peace available to you. But my fear is that because it doesn't make sense to us how that could ever work, we don't truly believe it. You see, the thing about the gospel of peace is that there's many people who believe in our minds. Stay with me. There's many people who believe in our minds that Jesus Christ died for us. We believe that, right? We believe Jesus Christ died for me. But we believe it in our minds, but we don't necessarily believe it for today. We don't necessarily believe that it applies to our problems for today. And when a preacher like me stands up and says, Listen, if you will take that anxiety and that fear and that worry... And you will cast that onto the Lord because he cares for you. And you will fit your feet with the gospel. You will come to the Lord maybe for the first time and say, I believe that Jesus lived for me and died for me. And I believe that I can live in hope. If that's the first time you do that, you become a Christian and you follow the Lord. But as a Christian, if you have believed the gospel... But you have fallen, because of the evil day, into a lifestyle of fear and worry and anxiety. And a preacher like me stands up here and tells you, Jimmy, you can have peace. Jimmy, you can have hope. Jimmy, you can rest knowing that Jesus is fighting for you. You might look back at me and say, well, what do you know? You're young, you got nice shoes and a minivan, you got it made. You might be right. I want to encourage you. Next time you see Paul, Paul go to him and say, how can you have peace in a time of such painful loss? Your wife of 60 years, how can you have peace? And I guarantee you what Paul, will tell you, it will sound something like this. I don't know how it works, but when I wake up, God's grace is there for me. The grace that I need for that day is there for me. You go talk to Pastor Ryan about what he went through about three years ago, about what he lost, and about the pain that he experienced. And you ask him, Ryan, how did you stand firm when Satan took everything you cared about and ripped it out of your life? How did you stand firm and keep your faith? What he'll tell you is that it doesn't make sense. He was hurt, he was depressed, he was lonely, he was anxious, he was worried, and he was fearful. But he stood firm with his feet fitted with the gospel. He never lost his faith or his belief that God loved him and was for him. He stood firm in that, and because he stood firm with his feet fitted with the gospel, he was able to survive the evil day. God's grace was there for him, and God's peace sustained him. And even the writer of this scripture says, this peace, it doesn't make any sense. He calls it the peace that passes understanding. No matter what you're going through, church, listen, those watching us online today, no matter what you're suffering with right now, no matter what's happened to you in your past, no matter what you're afraid of in your future, I can't tell you how God's gospel of peace works. I can't tell you how your relationship with Jesus can get us through such painful and difficult times. But what I can tell you is that His promise is there. And when God gives us a promise, we now have a responsibility to believe it and stand on it or to walk away from it the same way we came in.